Hello, and welcome to the St. Agnes Latin program. This is Latin 2, covering Unit 14, beginning at Unit 14. Today's lesson will be on the third declension, masculine, feminine, and neuter nouns. My name is Jim May. I am a professor of classics and classical languages and a longtime parishioner at St. Agnes. We'll be working through our lessons on a weekly basis via this audio recording, and you'll have a chance to ask your questions via email to me directly, and I will try to post another video on a weekly basis, or another audio, sorry, on a weekly basis, uh, answering some of those questions and going over some other uh, highlights for the week. So today, we are indeed plunging into the third declension. <clears throat> this class uh, presumes that you have had previous knowledge of some Latin, most uh, uh, preferably the first 13 units of the book by John Collins called A Primer of Ecclesiastical Latin. In order to uh, complete the class uh, in a successful manner, you will need to acquire that book if you don't always have it. Already have it. Again, John F. Collins, A Primer of Ecclesiastical Latin. I did check on Amazon and I noted that it is available and you may be able to order it uh, in the paperback version. So we will be beginning today on Unit 14, as I mentioned already, Third Declension Nouns. As we plunge in, let's uh, review a bit of uh, our Latin grammar about declensions. As you will recall, declensions are classifications of nouns. Uh, conjugations are classification of verbs. Declensions are classifications of nouns. And we call them declensions because as we run through the various cases, we, we fall down the line from nominative, genitive, dative, accusative, and ablative. Therefore, we decline the noun. And as you will also recall, uh, these declensions fall into uh, categories that look very similar in each, of the, in each of the declensions. So, for instance, in the first declension, we noted that uh, that's a declension that's characterized by the vowel A, and it includes primarily feminine with a small uh, number of masculine nouns. Uh, our second declension uh, in U.S. nouns and neuters in U.M., uh, have uh, mostly masculine nouns, a subclassification of neuter, and a few feminine nouns, but not many. Now, the third declension is the one that often gives students the most difficulty, and there are a few reasons for this. Uh, one is that the third declension has nouns from all genders, masculine, feminine, and neuter. Another reason is that this is often called a consonant declension in that the original ending in most masculine and feminine nouns in the nominative was S. But this S combines in strange uh, ways, linguistic ways, to give a, a nominative that often looks different from the genitive. Another reason why the third declension is sometimes tricky is that there are endings, particularly an ending in U-M and an ending in I, that would 
give you pause if you did not know what member of a declension a word belonged to. Because as you know, in the second declension, U-M is an ending as well as I is an ending. So you, there, there stands to be a lot of room for confusion. Now, the best way, of course, to approach knowledge of these third declension nouns is that when you encounter them in your vocabulary lists, to try to, uh, to uh, memorize them in the nominative and genitive. And remember your general rule for all declensions. You find the base or stem of the noun by going to the genitive, dropping the genitive ending, and that leaves you the base of the noun. This is particularly and extremely important in the third declension nouns, as you will see shortly. So, uh, that's a little bit of review about declensions and an introduction to the third declension. And now let's let's uh, delve right into the third declension. And if you're following along in your book, this will begin on page 111, unit 14. Now, as I said, the third declension nouns have uh, nouns that are masculine, feminine, and neuter. The masculine and feminine nouns um, apply one set of endings. The neuter applies a similar but slightly different set of endings. So, starting with the masculine and feminine endings, the nominative is often written, as it is in your book, as a blank, as a dash. Technically, in the masculine and feminine nouns, that ending was usually an S, and it disappears, and we'll see how that happens in a few nouns as we go on. But for now, let's, let's think of the nominative as blank. Genitive is, dative a, accusative m, ablative a. Blank is e, m, a. I, I'm sorry, I misspoke. That dative, I, I think I pronounced it a, it's an i. So it's blank is e, m, a. In the plural, es, um, ibus, es, ibus. One more time, blank is e m a, es um ibus es ibus. Now, in applying that those endings to a regular noun, you can use the the model noun that's used in your book, the word rex regis, masculine, king. We know that word probably even without knowing Latin. Rex is a king. Now, this word in particular will illustrate what I was talking about with the original S ending in the nominative of these consonant declension masculine feminine nouns. Because if you note, following my rule, go to the genitive, which is rageous, drop the ending, which is IS, and that leaves you with the stem REG, reg. And of course, that's the stem from which we get all of our derivatives in English, like regal. And uh, we will get a, a verb in Latin, re, rego, which means to rule or to steer or guide. Now, if you take a look, uh, if we take that stem, reg, R-E-G, and we add to it an S and pronounce it, we get regs, regs. So we have a guttural, a G followed by an S, which in linguistic formula 
ends up being an X, Rex. So that's why the nominative Rex looks different from the genitive Regis. But the stem is R-E-G, and that's the stem to which you add the remainder of your endings. I can Now you can see maybe how uh, that S combining with a consonant ending of the stem will combine to make the nominative of many of these nouns look differently from what the actual stem is. With that explanation, let's go ahead then and decline the noun rex in both singular and plural. Ready? So here we have it. Rex, regis, regi, regem, rege. Plural. Reges, regum, regibus, reges, regibus. Now, here's a point. Take a look at the genitive plural. Regum. Of the kings. You can see that that genitive plural if you did not know this was a third declension noun, would look very much, as a matter of fact, identical to the ending on a second declension noun like amicus. Remember your second declension nouns? Amicus, amici, amico, amicum. Amicum. U-M. So now you're faced with the thought, ah, I have a U-M ending. The only way you know for sure in that isolated word is the fact that amicum is a second declension word and regum is a third declension word. And therefore, regum is genitive plural, amicum is accusative singular. All right. So that's, that's part of your problem, uh, dealing with the third declension. So be aware of that. Now, you can take a look in your book. Uh, your book gives you another example of a third declension word, which we all know again, mater, matris, feminine. We decline it, mater, matris, matri, matrem, matre, matres, matrum, matribus, matres, matribus. Okay, so third declension, remember, go to the genitive, drop the ending, the is ending, and add your declensional endings. Now, as I said earlier, the third declension also has a group of neuter nouns. And these have the same declensional endings, but with a couple variations in the nominative and accusative. If you've had Latin from me before, um, you would have been familiar with what I have been uh, prone to call over the many years I've taught, May's Laws. May's Laws, uh, there are several of them. This is May's Law number one and two. The first May's Law is that all neuters, no matter what their declension, are the same in the nominative and accusative. I'll repeat that. All neuters, no matter what declension, are the same in the nominative and the accusative, singular and plural. May's Law number two is a corollary of that. The plural, nominative and accusative of neuter nouns in all declensions ends in A. So if you look at your book there on page 112, you will see the neuter endings, blank, is, e, blank, a, ah, there's your a, 
Um ibus a ibus. May's law, the neuters are always the same in nominative and accusative, and the plural neuters in nominative accusative end in A. Now let's take a look at a model noun for a neuter. Your book gives you a very famous one, again, one which you probably have all been familiar with, corpus corporis. This is the word for body. And um, we can see that the original nominative of corpus would have actually been corpus, and the genitive would have been corporsis, with an S where the R is now, but through a process, a linguistic change that occurs commonly in Latin called rhoticism. When an S is surrounded by two vowels, it changes to an R. That's how that different stem came about. These things will drive you crazy. And of course, the most easy solution in the beginning is simply to memorize your noun, as I've said earlier, nominative, genitive, and gender, and you won't have any trouble. So again, you can see that given the word corpus, if you did not know it was a third declension noun, you could immediately suspect, ah, corpus, that's like amicus, therefore second declension. And then you would do as many of my students have done over the years, decline that noun, corpus, corpi, corpo, or corpum, corpo, and you'd be absolutely wrong. So you need to know <clears throat> your nominative and your genitive and that will tell you what uh, declension you're in and therefore what endings to apply. So if we decline the, the noun corpus, you can see it there and you can decline it with me. Corpus, corporis, corpore, corpus, corpore. So notice the nominative and the accusative, it goes back to the original nominative and it doesn't look like the stem at all. The stem of that noun is C-O-R-P-O-R. And that's, again, where we get our English derivatives like corporal and so on. Corporate, all of those things that come from the word head. Plural. Corpora, corporum, corporibus, corpora, corporibus. Notice, May's Law number two, corpora in the nominative, corpora in the accusative, always the same, always ending in A. And there we have our plural. So, uh, those are your nominative, or I'm sorry, those are your masculine, feminine, and neuter endings of the third declension. All nouns of the third declension that fall into that category will have those endings and will follow those patterns. <clears throat> we will look at the vocabulary in just a second where you'll see many other third declension nouns. Um, for now, though, I'd like to um, go along with the presentation in your book. And on page 113 and following, you will see several, I wouldn't call them necessarily minor, but um, varying uh, grammatical points that are kind of odds and ends that um, our author here, Collins, likes to throw in. Um, sometimes probably to my liking, too many in one place. But at any rate, they're not exceedingly difficult, but they're to teach you common Latin idioms. Here we have a number of them. The first one is the so-called genitive of description. The genitive description is basically what its name implies. 
It's a word or group of words in the genitive that describes another noun. Now, we have this kind of saying in English. If you'll think uh, on an on a expression uh, like this, I, I knew so-and-so, and he was a man of great wisdom. We say a man of great wisdom. You see, great wisdom is describing the man. And even in English, we use the phrase of great wisdom, which, of course, in Latin would be translated in the genitive without the of. So in that particular phrase, we would say he is a vir magne sapientiae, a man magne sapientiae of great wisdom. Uh, you see in your example uh, in your book there on uh, page 113, are we a people of mercy, sumus populus misericordiae, of mercy. Yes. So that's the genitive of description. Uh, very common in Latin and quite common in English, as a matter of fact. Uh, the next one is functioning in precisely the same sort of way, but instead of using the genitive, Latin has the option of using the ablative. It's called an ablative of description. And this one uh, will be known to you because it's always accompanied by an adjective, usually with a verb to be in the sentence, and it describes someone. Now you see there, um, uh, Petrus erat vir magna anima. Peter was a man of great soul. We could have said, Petrus erat vir magne anime, and used the genitive of description. But we can equally use an ablative of description here, as in your book. And what what this is, is this kind of an ablative of um, <clears throat> ablative, remember, is used in lots of ways in Latin, and it's um, it's not exactly an ablative of means and not exactly an ablative of instrument, or, but it is an ablative of description. He is, Peter was a man, we might say, with a great soul. Um, and so if you see those elements, usually a verb to be with a noun and then followed by an ablative without a preposition, with an adjective and giving some descriptor of a person, that's an ablative description. Our next little point of grammar is what your book calls here the subjective and objective genitive. Uh, this is a little trickier, um, and in Latin it can cause uh, trickiness and confusion uh, because the genitive can be used subjectively when it names the subject of an action denoted by the noun which it's connected to, or it can be used objectively. Now, what do we mean by that? Well, your book gives a rather long and uh, rather complicated uh, example. I'll give you a simpler one. Let's take the expression in Latin, amor dei. Now, you, I think you all know, even though amor is a third declension noun, which you haven't had before, I think you know what amor means. It means love. Amor Dei. Now, that expression in Latin can be translated two ways, really. We can say the love of God or God's love, right? And in Latin, you would express both of those in the same way. You would express God as the genitive, Dei. 
Now, if we have Dei Amor or Amor Dei, and we want it to say God's love, that's what's called a subjective genitive because it's describing God as the subject of the love. Whereas if we say, so we say God's love covers a multitude of sins. We say that in English, God's love. It's different from saying the love of God is required by all of us, right? So we, but in Latin, we'd say amor dei. So we have this subjective and objective genitive. And your book gives you an example uh, using one, uh, both kinds of genitives in one sentence. Propter dei misericordiam hominum gratias agimus. We give thanks, gratias agimus, you see that? Propter, on account of God's pity, Dei misericordiam, or the pity of God, God's pity, toward human beings, of human beings. So that expression, propter Dei misericordiam hominum, means literally on account of God's pity of humans. So we have both a subjective genitive, Dei, because it's God's pity or mercy, and then we have the objective genitive because hominum is the object of God's pity. So, there you have it, um, the subjective and objective genitive. And I'll tell you, in Latin, sometimes when you encounter a genitive like this, it will not be clear, and you will have to figure it out. Is it love of God or God's love by the context? Usually, that will be uh, fairly obvious, but sometimes not so much obvious, and you'll have to think about it in, in, in the total context of your sentence. Okay. Uh, the next, and as I say, I think Collins gets a little carried away with these uh, these sort of miniature uh, miniature uh, lessons on on um, little grammatical points. But uh, to go to continue on, um, there's the dative of reference, which is sometimes called a dative of advantage or disadvantage. And this means that um, what we see here is the use of the dative case, which refers to some interested party or a person affected by the act, the a particular action. Um, and some, and it will be a dative that kind of just stands out there by itself with not seeming to have a very strong grammatical connection. So what we have here. Uh, and 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 we will see that it can be to the advantage or disadvantage of the person in the data. So here we have an example. Que mala meo popolo fecistis. What evils have you done to my people? Que mala, what, what evils, fecistis, have you done in reference to, notice there's no preposition, just a noun sticking out there in the in the data. What what evils have you done in reference to my people? That would be, of course, a dative of disadvantage. Now, on the next page, we have a dative of advantage. Christus omnibus hominibus surrexit. Christ has arisen for all human beings. 
So we take Christus Christ has arisen, and then we have this dative uh, without preposition sticking out there, omnibus omnibus, in reference to all human beings. His resurrection, his action of rising from the dead has some reference to all human beings. And of course, because we're Christians and we believe in the efficacy, of course, of the resurrection, we would classify this as a dative of advantage, not disadvantage. In any case, both are called datives of reference because they refer to people or things that are affected by the rest of the action in the sentence. These go in the dative without a preposition and will stand out. And when you see uh, words in the dative like this in reference to actions and so forth, think dative of reference. Our next point of grammar is called apposition. This is section 77 on page 114. And I think we're all pretty familiar with apposition and appositives. And appositive is an expansion uh, or an explication on usually a noun or pronoun in a sentence. So for instance, in the English, in the English sentence, John, my student, is in the classroom. The main sentence is John is in the classroom. And we add in a positive, my student, further explaining who John is. Now in Latin, as would be logical, when you have such an ap- apposition and a positive, the appositive will go in the same case as the noun or pronoun that it is uh, expanding upon. So if you take a look uh, in section 77 there, there's an example sentence. Deum nostrum patrem laudamus. We praise God our Father. Okay, so so the verb is laudamus, we praise. The direct object is deum. We praise God. But then we have an appositive. Nostrum patrem. And you notice there that patrem is in the accusative in apposition to deum, and nostrum modifies it as a good adjective in number, gender, and case. So that's a fairly simple uh, point of grammar, but one that you will see quite a bit, and particularly in the upcoming sentences. Our final point of grammar uh, offered in this unit it has to do with concessive clauses, number 78 on page 114. Um, Concessive clauses are adverbial clauses, circumstantial clauses that give circumstances under which the main clause operates. There are many such clauses in in Latin, and one category of them is concessive. We call them concessive clauses because we're conceding something in the clause. So uh, in English, concessive clauses are most commonly introduced by the word although, the subordinating conjunction although. Uh, You can also have even if, uh, etsy in Latin, or although, quam, quam. And there are other words in Latin that that function as uh, uh, the introductions of concessive clauses. Uh, In this chapter, you are introduced to the word quam, quam. Uh, We might say in English, uh, although it's raining outside, Uh, Still or nevertheless, we will go out and play. Uh, That's a concessive clause. And you notice that often in English, as well as in Latin, there's a hint 
in the main clause, because we often say in the main clause, nevertheless or still. So you see your example there in, uh, in section 78. Quam quam or et si, sumus indigni, Deus tamen cunctos diligit. Although we are unworthy, nevertheless, God loves all. So there you have it, a uh, concessive clause. And you'll read those right along. When you see the quam quam, that's a sure uh, hint for one coming up. Okay, let's take a look at the vocabulary quickly on pages 114 and 115. You'll see there are several verbs and their compounds. Um, you should also take a look, uh, starting in the second column at the bottom, uh, we have many, many new third declension nouns. So remember, a third declension noun, like all nouns, will, will be given in vocabulary or in a dictionary with the nominative, the genitive, uh, and the uh, gender. It's best to memorize those. Homo hominis masculine. Uh, human being. Actually, that one can also be feminine because sometimes uh, the human being is a female referred to. Uh, you have Ioannis, Ioannis, masculine John, pater, patris, masculine father. Now, there, there, is a, there are some general categories or general guidelines that give you a hint about the gender of third declension nouns. They, it's not foolproof, but nouns ending in tor or or often masculine, nouns ending in I-O, like deprecatio, deprecationis, often mostly feminine, um, nouns ending in tas, tatis, like if you look down your list there, voluntas, voluntatis, those are usually feminine. Um, but the, the, the most foolproof method, as I said above, is simply to memorize your noun, nominative, genitive, and gender, as always. It's going to become particularly important in, the, uh, in reading when we have to find adjectives that, that agree with our noun, which, of course, they always agree in number, gender, and case. So study your vocabulary there and take a look uh, at uh, your derivatives list. I think those are sometimes helpful for remembering your vocabulary words and uh, also for building your, uh, your English vocabularies, and then uh, check the drills. But for your homework or work to be done uh, in between lessons here, I would like you to concentrate on the exercises on page 117 and 118, uh, the sentences. And uh, there are many, many of them. Of course, the best thing for you is you're interested in really practicing is to do them all. But we're going to concentrate in class on this week on the even numbered sentences. So two, four, six, eight, and so on and so forth. We will do those. Uh, I don't think we'll um, get into doing our English to Latin sentences. That's a great uh, exercise. And if we were meeting in, in class face to face, uh, I think we'd try to tackle a couple of those, but it's going to be more and more difficult to do so uh, when we're meeting uh, via video or uh, via audio alone. So let's uh, have you concentrate on the even numbered exercises on pages 117 and 118.
And um, I will be uh, here on the uh, on the computer, uh, ready to answer any uh, real stumping questions that you might have. Uh, you can reach me as in the church bulletin, May at Stoloff, S-T-O-L-A-F dot E-D-U, May at Stoloff dot E-D-U, uh, my email address. And I will uh, endeavor to uh, later on uh, make another audio uh, highlighting some of these questions and uh, clarifications that come up during the week. And uh, then after that, we'll go on to Unit 15. So thanks for listening, and we hope that uh, your work goes well this week and that uh, you come up with some good questions, and we'll be ready to move on. Have a good day, a good week. Thank you.